This is the Tom Baker Show. Hello, everyone, and post-Memorial Day weekend greetings to you. I hope that you had a safe and blessed Memorial Day weekend. It is great to be back in the comfy chair for another Tom Baker Show Let's get right to it, shall we? We have got a lot coming up today, and let me tell you what's up on the program. First of all, we are going to review each of the races at Charlotte, India, Monaco, and we had several at Charlotte. It took four days to complete them all because, well, it rained and it rained and it rained. Um, we will also hear from Arca Racer. He's a rookie in the Arca Series and former star of Malcolm in the Middle, Frankie Munez. Got some sound with him after the show, uh, after the race was over. Finished in the top 10. He was elated, and uh, we talked with Frankie. You'll hear that in a little while. And uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series team owner Jordan Anderson will also join us. Jordan, of course, uh, two cars this year. The 31 Funkaway uh, car Chevrolet with uh, Parker Retzloff joining as the driver this season. And then the 27 car of Jeb Burton, who has multiple sponsors, Jeb. Uh, has already won a race for the team and uh, that team has been getting stronger and stronger. We talked to Jordan about that and about his journey. It was a really, really cool time to sit and talk with him. And uh, we hope you'll enjoy that a little later. Our hot topic is on fire. Oh my gosh. The internet just has not stopped lighting up over this. As you would expect NASCAR suspending Chase Elliott, who many feel is their golden boy, for a week, Chase is going to miss Gateway this coming weekend for uh, right hooking, right rear hooking Denny Hamlin into the wall uh, during the 600. I think as big a surprise, we all thought, well, Josh Berry gets another shot at the nine car. <laughs> no, he's out in Portland with Xfinity. So Corey LaJoy comes over from the Spire Motorsports team. He'll hop in the nine and Carson Hosevar getting his first start in the seven car. Now we're going to talk about all that later because I got some thoughts. Um, and of course, uh, that is a hot enough topic to carry us through the show. But let's start our warm up session and go back through the uh, big news of the weekend. First of all, we start at Charlotte on Friday, the ARCA General Tire 150. And that was a race where, for the most part, uh, early on, it was Jesse Love, Connor Mozak, and Jack Wood. And now what's interesting here is that Connor, uh, as strong as that Joe Gibbs racing entry is, and Connor certainly knows how to drive it, it seems like lately when he's been in that car, it, it's just the strangest things. Either the car handling goes away or something happens, but he was strong early in this one. Jack Wood also strong early, faded a little bit later, but both of them came back at the end. Uh, Sean Corr did not have his best day, had a couple of spins. Scott Melton with a huge crash in this one, severe damage to the 69 once again, and Scott Van Alsten, the 35-year Daytona winner, a hard crash into the wall off the bumper of Mozak. Um, certainly not an intentional thing, but Mozak's car just, not handling well much of the middle section of the race. Now, as we got down to the last seven laps or so, 
uh, Jesse Love opened up a bit of an advantage. We had a couple of cautions. And from pit stops and everything else, Christian Rose ends up in the lead. Now Christian driving for AM Racing in the ARCA Series. This is a new team building for the future. A couple of great sponsors there for Christian. And he restarted in the lead with Jesse Love next to him in what turned out to be a green-white checkered uh, restart. Jesse took the lead. Rose fell back on the older tires, um, probably had maybe a top-five car, but um, still ended up with a good eighth-place finish. You can hear an interview with Christian that we did post-race on SteeringWheelNation.com and also at the, the Wheel Nation, all of our socials uh, as well. Jesse Love ends up with a win. Second place goes to Dean Thompson, who's really put on some good showings in the ARCA series as Jesse's teammate with Venturini Motorsports this year. Uh, Taylor Gray, third. Grant Enfinger back to ARCA for a race, finishes fourth. Andy J, well-earned fifth-place finish in a car that was on fire at Kansas. They rebuilt it. He goes out, gets a top five. Huge night for him. Frankie Muniz, sixth place, ties his best finish. You'll hear from him on this show shortly. Um, and, of course, then uh, Perez DeLara in the Rev Racing car gets seventh. Rose ends up eighth. Mozak recovers for ninth. Jack Wood back for tenth as well in the ARCA race. Uh, we've also got an interview with Jesse Love that's out on SteeringWheelNation.com and our socials as well. You can go find that. Um, it's out now. Let's switch gears to the truck race because that race was a race that turned out to be a great race with, I think, a bit of a surprise winner. I don't think, I don't know that Ben Rhodes expected to win when he walked in, but he certainly was determined to. That team had not had the start to the season that he was looking to have. Uh, and they turned things around during this race. It was Heim time early. Uh, Heim and Carson Hosevar and Thompson and Rajak Ruth, Zane Smith, all up in the top five early. Taylor Gray um, mixing it up in there as well. Um, there were a number of different incidents in this race. The key one may have been Zane Smith's spin. Again, Zane, the defending champion of the truck series, trying to bring Ford its first ever truck win at Charlotte. Can you believe that a Ford truck had never won Charlotte before? Instead, Smith finds himself sideways and ends up out of the top five. Another disappointing showing for the defending track champion. He's got to get some momentum back going into the summer. He's already in the playoffs, but he really needs that team needs to uh, have some good runs to get its momentum back. Meanwhile, Ben Rhodes comes on strong at the end and gets by Corey Heim ends up winning the race. Heim second Thompson third host of our finishes fourth Brad Enfinger gets fifth. And it is in fact, Ben Rhodes who brings forward their first ever truck win at Charlotte. The, the next day on Saturday at Charlotte, absolutely nothing happened. It rained all day long. <laughs> nothing happened whatsoever. We get to Sunday. Let's talk first about the F1 Grand Prix of Monaco because I feel like that's where you need to start. It was the first event on Sunday morning. I had a whole lot to say about this one. A 27-second win for Max Verstappen. 
for Red Bull and his teammate um, Sergio Perez uh, also ran strong early, but ended up outside the top five. Now, here's here's the thing you need to know about Monaco, and this was a shocking stat when I heard it over the weekend. When was the last time that there was a green flag pass for the lead at the Grand Prix of Monaco? Hint, it was in the 90s. 1996 was the last time we had a green flag pass for the lead at Monaco. Isn't that incredible? Before that, it was 1987. So basically, this one is all about qualifying. Qualifying was the race. Whoever starts up front at Monaco usually wins unless they they break or take themselves out. No story here about Verstappen other than Red Bull's continued domination. Here's where the story was. Fernando Alonso for Aston Martin finishes in second. Incredible run. Alonso seems to be picking up steam in that car this year. Now, again, Monaco's a driver's track. So it was great to see Alonso have that kind of a finish. Obviously, no match for the Red Bull, uh, but best of everybody else on this day, anyway. Uh, Esteban Ocon finishes in third for Alpine. Now, his teammate, Pierre Gasly, finished seventh. A great day for Alpine who shows some muscle in this race, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Finishing in fourth and fifth, Mercedes still trying to find its footing. Now, let's go to the lunchtime race of the day, which turned out, in my opinion, although the 600 was great, it turned out that didn't happen until Monday. So that doesn't count. Indy was easily the race of the day. And, oh my, This race got the highest TV ratings for NBC on the Sunday afternoon since last year's U.S. Open. I'll say that again. The Indy 500 that just happened got the highest TV ratings for an NBC program on a Sunday afternoon since last year's U.S. Open. That's tennis, for those of you who don't know. So, um, huge race. Over 4 million um, average viewership. It was over 5 at different points. Um, Just a, a, a great TV day for the folks at Indy and that's great where do you even start with the race the storylines we had going in Tony Kanan's swan song oh just for a brief moment it looked like Tony would be in contention but it wasn't to be he ended up 16th in his final race he has a 500 win and a legacy that will live forever he and his nose Uh, That's his joke, not mine, are on the trophy. And that's all that matters. Um, Tony Kanan is a legend, and he is a personality that I hope in some way will uh, be around the sport. Maybe we can get him up in the broadcast booth or something because TK needs to still be visible. Um, He is just a genuinely passionate person about racing. Um, Sad to see him go, but uh, thankful his last race was safe. And uh, he did finish P16. Star of the day, in my opinion, Santino Ferrucci in the H.J. Foyt Racing number 14. Wow. Um, What a job this young jockey did. For 88-year-old A.J. Foyt and his team, A.J. lost his wife recently and um, really needed something to smile about. And boy, did he get it. Ferrucci qualified fourth quickest. And he drove a patient a masterful race. When it was time to go, he went to the outside and just went. 
drove straight to the lead. A slower-than-usual pit stop caused by an errant tire that was brilliantly restrained by the right front tire changer, or he'd have probably faced a drive through penalty. He was lucky he didn't get one. And those red flags were key here because Ferrucci would not be denied. He came storming back. He was driving around Marcus Erickson for the lead when the final crash occurred that set up the last mad dash to the finish. Um, and again, he attacked on the restart, but just a one lap run for glory. It was Penske ace, Joseph Newgarden, a native of Tennessee, a Southern boy and former IndyCar champion who was able to make the big move on the final lap to shoot by Erickson and grab the win. This was just incredible to watch. Um, Ferrucci had to settle for third in an emotional loss, but boy, um, he, he was the biggest spectacle in this year's greatest spectacle in racing, in my opinion. Ferrucci was the star of the day, but it was Newgarden who got the wreath and the milk and <laughs> charged into the crowd. Incredible. Um, just absolutely incredible. What a, what a post-race celebration. It was one for the ages. He was mobbed by well-wishers. It was great to watch. Erickson finished second. He was not happy. Ferrucci was third, Alex Pelot and uh, Alex Rossi rounded out the top five. I want to talk real quick about the three red flags. In the past, I have been very critical of races everywhere that end under the yellow. It never ends. It's just declared over. It's like we've had enough, go home. Can you picture the Super Bowl or the world, a World Series game or an NBA championship game where we're in the fifth overtime and everybody goes, ah, that's it, we're, we're done going. As it is, the NFL plays to a tie. Well, you can't have a tie in motorsports. I mean, I guess you can if they're dead heat at the line, but I don't like ending a race under yellow. The fans invest their time and money to travel and get there and see it. And we all invest our emotion in an event. And then you it's like deflating the balloon. Like, really? We just three hours of our time and this is how we're gonna we're gonna end this. It's an unspectacular ending to a spectacular event. And so, in my opinion, I think IndyCar did exactly the right thing. They made every effort to finish it under the green and History was made because of it, and Joseph Newgarden took advantage of it. I I understand Marcus Erickson's disappointment, but I also will say that he had the lead going into the last lap. It was his to win, and he didn't. So nobody to blame but himself for that one. I support IndyCar's uh, three, the, the way that they ended that race, and I'm thankful, by the way, that uh, the tire that went over the catch fence uh, did not go into the stands and, and hurt anybody from the one crash that they had at the end. Uh, thankfully, everybody was uh, okay. That was a um, a really tough uh, situation there. And But thank God everybody was safe. Now, we get to Monday. And the Ausco 300 for the Xfinity Series starts off the day until it doesn't. It rained. Then they dried the track and started the race. Then it rained. (laughs) 
And then they told the Xfinity guys, ah, okay, whatever. You're going to the back of the line here. Um, and basically decided to finish the Alsco 300 um, after the Coca-Cola 600, which was scheduled for a 3 p.m. start. Now, I, again, I support this because the way that the the weather was, they would have been lucky to get to halfway. I don't even know if they could have. It just rained much of that time in between. So just, a, again, a, a start to the race where um looked like, you know, it was going to go to halfway and maybe stop. Well, um, didn't didn't happen that way. Uh, ended up being uh, a rain delayed start, and then uh, the uh, Coca Cola six hundred came <laughs> came out on the track, and we we wondered at the time if that was going to be a race to halfway, didn't we? Because we weren't really sure. We 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 thought it. it, it is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? This this whole weekend at Charlotte was it was about watching the sky more than anything else. Just crazy. So we'll we'll get to the uh, Xfinity race after we talk about the six hundred. William Byron led the first thirteen laps. Denny Hamlin took over. Um, Ryan Blaney came on strong early in this event in the first stage. Lots of comers and goers. You could see. The intensity of this race setting up. You could just see the intensity of this race setting up. Right from the first stage. Byron won the first stage. Bell, Blaney, Reddick, Truex were the top five at the time. He had Hamlin, Bush, Kozlowski, Larson, and Stenhouse. Now, when we got to the caution flag, something happened. Under the caution flag at the end of stage one that I have never seen before. I'm not sure it's ever happened. (laughs) Not one, not two, but three, three cars from Legacy Motor Club went behind the wall at the same time. Now, Jimmy Johnson had crashed earlier in the event. He was going behind the wall He was done for the day from the crash. His two teammates, Eric Jones and Noah Gregson, both had radiator punctures at the exact same time. How do you do that? Hey, Vegas, what are the odds of that? I mean, how do we bet on that going forward? So they both go behind the wall. Crazy. Legacy Motor Club is just, they've they've got a lot of things going on over there. A lot of change, a lot of issues. Ooh, they've got some sorting out to do. Okay, we get stage two started. And Bell, Reddick, and Blaney. Now, again, the lead at this time, under a second. It it This has been a close race. We get to lap 155, and guess what happens? It rains. So we have a caution flag for a little while. And we finally got them fired up again. Reddick. Kozlowski, Blaney, your top three at the caution. Now, at the end of the stage, it was Chris Buescher who was ninth when it rained. It was Chris Buescher winning the stage. And then we have more action. We're getting as much action between the stages in this race as we had on the racetrack during the caution flag in between stage two and stage three. 
Eric Almirola and Bubba Wallace, who had had some, well, arguments over space on the racetrack. Bubba goes up to ask Eric what for, and again, according to Eric, starts cussing him and saying bad things. So Eric shoved him on pit road between the stages. This is where this is where we're at here. Um, now, um, we we get the uh, the track going again. Uh, and, and, and get the, the cars back on track and Chris Bell hits the wall, keeps going. And then the big thing happened during this stage. Stage three was the big event here that will lead to our hot topic later. Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott racing side by side, get together. And then Chase bounces off the wall. And according to the data and according to Denny Hamlin, and according to NASCAR, turns his car into Hamlin's car, hits him in the right rear, and hooks him into the fence. Chase denied that, but we'll talk more about that later. So the stage ends with Ryan Blaney, your stage winner. Reddick, Truex, Byron, and Gibbs through five. Now, here's a couple of notes from stage the, the last stage of the event, stage four, that you need to, first of all, Ty Gibbs, a huge story throughout the day, just doing a marvelous job. at On lap 315, Gibbs was in sixth, and Zane Smith was in 13th place in the Boop Barn Ford number 38, replacing Todd Gilliland for the day uh, in that 38 car. And Zane gave it an amazing ride, at, at lap 315, he was in 13th. Kevin Harvick had a great day until lap 357 when he bounced off Reddick and spun. That was the 13th caution of the day. About six laps later, um, Stenhouse and Almondinger get together and Dinger spins, gets collected by Harrison Burton. Then we about six laps later in our 15th caution, Austin Sindrick shortens the front end of the two car, hits the wall hard. Now, at this point, with just about 30 laps left, Byron is still your leader. Blaney, Truex, Larson, and Reddick. Now, Kyle Busch is sixth, and there's Zane Smith at seventh. Priest eighth, Gibbs ninth, Bell tenth. That's at lap 369. Now, just five laps later, Larson spins, takes out Gibbs, Bell, and Logano, among others. <laughs> and so now Larson's out. Well, Blaney, now your leader, Byron second, Truex third. Who's going to win it? At lap 392, Blaney's up by a full second. Nobody's going to catch him unless he falters. He wins. Huge victory for Ryan. First win in a long time. And Penske Racing sweeping the day. Indy 500 and the Cooks. And Zane Smith, by the way, ends up in the top 10. A nice run for Zane. In that boot barn, 38, a little bit of salve, perhaps, on the wound that um, he he got Friday night with the uh, spin in the truck race that took him out of contention. Great run for Zane to be in the top 10. Big win for Blaney. Big win for Team Penske. A sweep of the day. And then it was time for the Osco 300. 
Here's what you need to know about this. It was a also a good race. Ty Gibbs, though, dominating stages one and two. And then at halfway has an issue with the steering wheel. They lose track position while he changes it. And while they change it in the pits and then he comes back out, works his way up into the top 10, but just he got to fifth. That was the best he could do. A a really disappointing uh, run for him in the uh, Xfinity Series event. Justin Allgaier was the winner and uh, John Hunter Nemechek second. Custer finishing third. Cole Custer, good run for him. Hill and Gibbs fourth and fifth. And finally, finally, the weekend ends of major events. Oh, my gosh. What a crazy weekend it was. NASCAR, I thought that all would never be over at Charlotte. Want to thank the folks at Charlotte uh, who obviously do a, a, a great job and go out of their way to make sure that we as media get everything we need and all the accoutrements that we got to have in order to do the best job of, of doing our jobs and um, just uh, it, a lot of hours for a lot of people at Charlotte from the race teams to NASCAR itself to, you know, TV and all of that. And um, everybody did a really nice job. It was just a very frustrating weekend. That is our warm up. Let's get into today's hot topic. Today's hot topic is certainly a spicy one, isn't it? We return to the world of NASCAR, where in the Coca-Cola 600 on Monday, Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, who end up racing together a lot because they're both front runners, got together during the 600 and uh, let's just say an issue occurred. Hamlin making contact with Elliot. Elliot uh, kind of careening off the wall. I won't say careening. He kind of just bounced off the wall. Not a lot of damage, um, if any, really from that. But where the damage came from was when Chase turned left into Hamlin's right rear, hooking Hamlin into the wall and then putting himself back uh, in jeopardy and both cars ending up with damage from that situation, Brad Kozlowski into the back of Elliot, but not until he turned into Hamlin video is very clear about this. The order in which those events happen, Hamlin and Elliot getting together, Elliot coming off the wall, turning his steering wheel left into Hamlin and then, uh, hooking Hamlin and then Keselowski, uh, no doubt because obviously those two cars, when they made contact, slowed down just enough. Keselowski was right there, no place to go. And um, okay, so now we have a scenario because we've had precedent in NASCAR recently when Bubba Wallace right hooked Kyle Larson. Bubba got a week off for that. Now. There were a lot of other things Bubba did in that situation that NASCAR did not take into account. When they sat him for a week, they were only sitting him for the right hook for what he did on the track. That was it. Okay, they don't want to see that. They've been very clear about the right rear hook. Now, I don't think they have the same determination to you know, suspend for, you know, just door to door or 
bumper to bumper contact or whatever. I don't, I don't think that's the problem that NASCAR feels needs to be solved. They don't want to see the right hook because right hooks end up with cars head on into the fence. And I could go all the way back to 1986. I believe it was 86 at Richmond when Dale Earnhardt right hooked Daryl Waltrip. And I mean, back then we didn't have any of the, you know, the driver safety stuff that we have now. We didn't have safer barriers. We didn't have, you know, the seats weren't what they are now, full containment. We didn't have head and neck restraints. We didn't have any of that. You know, it, it, I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. And and honestly, my, my take here, first of all, NASCAR's right. They did the right thing. They had set the precedent. They had no choice. Now, Hamlin obviously immediately started calling for the week off for, for Elliot. Elliot, of course, you know, denied that he did anything, but see, here's, here's where I know all the, you know, all the fans who hate Denny or love chase or both are all, you know, up in arms about this. Well, here's the problem. People say, well, nobody knows what chase intended to do. Uh, actually we do see in this computerized technology world we have now, unfortunately, um, for Chase, the, the the computer in the car, you can actually pull data from that computer and you can see where the driver brakes, where he lifts, where he's on the gas, where he turns left, turns right, whatever. You can look and clearly see. And, you know, Denny put the screenshots up there's no question that chase meant to turn left. He said, well, you, I, when you crash, you can't drive the cars anymore. Both front wheels were straight. His car wasn't damaged to the point where he couldn't drive it anymore. Both front wheels were straight. He had absolute full control of the car. He turned left. He hooked Denny. He meant to do it. There's not even a question of it. The data proves it. Um, continued to drive his car after all that around. And like I said, the wheels were straight. So, you know, the rear end one, there there was no, there, there was no question of the intent here. So Chase gets suspended for a week. Now here's to me, what's most interesting about this is who his replacement is had a discussion with someone uh, about, well, who said, no, now that Josh Berry is, is going to be a Ford guy next year, it appears, then, um, you know, they're not going to let him be doing this anymore. So he it won't be him. And I said, no, that's not true. He's still under contact contract with Chevy and Hendrick or, and uh, Junior. And so if he's needed, you know, they don't care where he's going next year. It's all about this week. He's still driving the Xfinity car. Um well, it ends up not being Josh Berry, but not be, be, I don't believe it was anything to do with that. It's because he's running an Xfinity race in Portland. So the call goes out to Corey LaJoy to drive the nine car. Now, here's what's really interesting about this is that, you know, we see in 
uh, Formula One, for example, a lot of the big teams have, um, th- there's a name that escapes me right now what they call them, but they're basically like a, a, a farm team um, where you can go, you can get called up to the big team at, at any, you know, at any time if you're needed. And um, NASCAR is over the years has sort of on the sly developed uh, sort of this same thing. It's never been official or um, now we've got the Xfinity series. Obviously we watch Josh Berry get called up from the, you know, from the farm team, which is junior Motorsports, basically, right. Get called up. And we've seen, you know, this happen in other situations, Noah Gregson. Um, and uh, we saw with uh, Ty Gibbs, uh, getting called into the 45 when Kurt Busch got hurt. Um, so we, we, we see this happen. We, it just isn't sort of official. Well, what also goes on is that oftentimes you will have a driver in the manufacturer's organization. So in the Chevy organization, you'll have a driver or a couple drivers that do a lot of the sim racing stuff, which kind of is the new version of testing, right? Because you can't go test as much because NASCAR's keeping costs down. So, um, you know, Alex Bowman was was that for a while before he got into the Hendrick deal. Um, we've had drivers like that. And you think, well, um, you know, at some point, somebody's going to, you know, going to put that driver to work. I think Ryan Priest was kind of that over in the Stuart Haas organization. You know, they signed him, but they didn't really have a place in cup. So, you know, he kind of ran a mixed bag and now he's full-time, right? So Corey LaJoy has been driving for Spire Motorsports, which is um, a a team that has a technical alliance with Hendrick, I believe, but is not a, obviously not Hendrick. Um, So Corey Corey gets the call. And if you'll remember, you know, there was talk of him maybe uh, going into the 48 at some point or, or one of the Hendrick cars. Well, now he gets his chance. And, and this is what's so intriguing to me about this. You, you now get Corey coming into the car on a short track. This is going to be fun to watch. Don't count Corey LaJoy out of a top five finish. Do that at your own peril because Corey I, although I, I, I don't know if we've seen the best of Corey in, in, yet in the series, but this is an opportunity to. The, the seven teams certainly taking a step forward this year, for sure. Um, now, behind Corey, again, think about sort of the farm team mentality, the minor league mentality. Behind Corey, Spire is calling up one of their own farm team racers in Carson Hosevar to replace Corey in the seven for this weekend at Gateway again on a short track. Now, both of these drivers are short trackers. This is interesting. I would argue that Carson has over-delivered in his Xfinity starts so far. So you got to kind of wonder here. And and now if you're Ty Dillon, you know, you got to be thinking to yourself, okay, this is not necessarily a good situation because uh, I could see at the end of the year, if, if Hosevar runs well here, 
I could see at the end of the year, if Carson doesn't get a better offer, I could see Spire, if they have a chance to bring Carson in, upgrade the 77 team, I could see Ty being out. I don't know what the contract terms are or whatever, but this is just a really interesting scenario for a number of different reasons. So again, um, I think Corey LaJoy, congrats to Corey. I think it's great he's getting his start uh, in the nine. I think he's, he's he gets at least a one-race audition. And look, I, I say don't count him out of the top five, and I say don't count Josevar out of a strong run as well, but I say that both of the the expectations for each of them should be tempered. You know, we shouldn't be expecting that just because Corey's in the nine, now suddenly he should go run for a win. Because... I'm not saying a whole scenario of, 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 of what this hot topic has unleashed here for gateway. The storylines are just, it's going to be fun. Um, but I, I don't think there's, I mean, again, agreement with me is certainly never required and I'm not making myself out to be, um, you know, the know-it-all of everything. I'm just giving you my opinion and we've got to stop this. It's dangerous. It doesn't belong in the sport. Right hooking does not belong in the sport. So I would have been fine if they would have suspended Chase for four races as a way of, of saying, well, you didn't, y'all, the drivers didn't get it the first time when we sat Bubba for a week. So now we're, we're sitting Chase for three or four weeks. Like I would have been fine with that. We've got to stop this. Those of you who are up to 140 or 150 or 170 at Charlotte and will right hook you into the wall. And then you can come back and tell us how you feel about it now. It's easy to sit on your couch and say, well, you know, back in the day, look, back in the day, Dale Earnhardt was dirty and Dale could have hurt or killed a number of drivers. And so could most of the other drivers because all of them at one time or another we're crashed each other on purpose. We've got to that this sport, the racing should be what we enjoy, not this sort of bloodthirsty, you know, let them, let them fight, let them crash. That it, we, we need sponsors. We want, I look, it's not a Southern redneck sport anymore. We've outgrown that. If you want to go back to that, then I guess we can have a different discussion, but if, if we want money in the sport, it, that isn't the way to get it. We, we've got to get ourselves away from thinking that that's what we all care about. The drivers can express emotion. Okay, Almirola shoving Bubba. Well, that's better than right hooking him into the wall. But again, if you're going to do it, you know, do it away from it. The problem is it's hard to do it away from the public now because everybody's every dumbbell's got a smartphone and a camera and you know, they're all eager to, to have their moment of, of getting the cookie for, you know, look what I shared and I went viral, you know, good for you. I mean, it, I, I just, it, it shouldn't be that we encourage adults to act like kids in order to, to, to find our enjoyment of the sport. I don't get it. We teach our kids not to act like that, but then we encourage the race car drivers to like, what, 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 what are we doing here? Okay. So, um, hot topic for me, I'm all about chase being suspended. I hate it. Um, but it doesn't hurt him. He's, he's gonna, he's gonna be in the playoffs anyway. It doesn't matter. 
Um, he'll find it, it. It'll it'll be there. Um, and if he doesn't, he did it to us to Corey LaJoy on his opportunity and to Carson Hosevar. Gateway is going to be infinitely more interesting now because of those two situations. And that is our hot topic of the day. It's time to move into the feature portion of our show. And uh, our first of two feature interviews that we have this week uh, is with a driver who is a rookie in the Arkham Menards series this year. He is a well-known name, but not for his racing. Frankie Munez is the driver and Frankie. Uh, we all remember Frankie as Malcolm in Malcolm in the middle. Uh, and he's done a lot of other acting, but he's also done a lot of other racing. When he was younger, he got into road course racing, did a lot of, uh, things with the road courses, but now, uh, more recently has started to do some oval track racing. He's done a handful of late model races. He's now, uh, wanting to, after being, uh, away a little bit from the sport, he's wanting to get back into it. And fortunately his wife supported that and he got the opportunity and got uh, a sponsor to go Arkham Menards racing this year and, uh, ended up with Rhett Jones racing, which I think is one of the unsung under-respected teams, um, in the Arkham Menards series, when they have a good driver, they can race with anybody. And Frankie is proving that he's been competitive since Daytona, um, since the season started and had a good run at Charlotte, learned a bunch, finished sixth, very, uh, good showing for Frankie. We caught up with him afterward and boy, he was, he, he is so passionate. Here's what he had to say. Frankie Munez, it's great to see you back at the racetrack in the Arca Series. Yeah. And, man, you're having quite a lot of fun, and you just had a ball out there. Top 10 finish, nice run. Yeah, I mean, I am I literally am having the time of my life. Um, went through a little bit of ups and downs during the race, like, you know, emotions, because, you know, I, I think halfway through I kind of lost my confidence a little bit, just going over the bumps. You know, I didn't feel very comfortable. We, made, we came in, we pit three times, which is pretty rare in the Arca Series. Made a bunch of changes, and the car got really good at the end. Um, and just kept my foot in it at the end there, passed a bunch of guys on the last lap. So sixth place, it ties my best finish ever. I'm thrilled with it and, um, you know, hope to keep, keep going. You've just had some crazy experience between Daytona, the super speedway, and now you're running speedways like this yeah, and Charlotte, yeah. the mile and a half. What's it been like for you to come into this series and race against these veterans and these young kids who are so aggressive and so talented? I, I mean, I, I know I kind of jumped off the deep end a little bit, you know what I mean, <laughs> by jumping straight into Arca. Right? I, di I didn't grow up running on ovals. This is only, my, I think, my ninth oval race ever. I think I did four or five late model races last year, and then and then here I am in ARCA. Um, so I have a lot to learn from the racecraft sense, but, you know, when I keep having these finishes, you know, I keep it just building my confidence. It makes me feel like I belong here, and uh, hopefully I'll just keep improving. You know what I mean? Like, we'll take a six, got to get my first top ten, uh, top five, hopefully at the next one, and keep moving up. And, you know, I, I think I still have a lot of room to grow. You know what I mean? So, I feel good I'm where I'm at, where I still feel like I'm in my learning phase. So, hopefully by the end of the season, I'm at my, my the top of my game, and, and uh, I'll be up front. I was asked the other day, is Frankie actually trying to make it to Cup? And you know what? I didn't know the answer, so I'm going to ask Frankie. Well, are you trying to make it to Cup? What's your goal here? I mean, that Honestly, like I, I know I, probably everybody would say that that is their goal. It is my goal. You know what I mean? I know that that's a 
lofty goal. Like I'm realistic in that sense because I'm 37, right? I'm not Jesse Love who's 18. He can race for 20 years before he's my age. You know what I mean? So if I'm going to do it, I got to do it pretty quickly. So the only way to do that is to keep performing the way I am, improving, learning, and, uh, you know, show that I can be here to hopefully move up next year and, and kind of keep climbing that ladder. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, so I know you can't do any of this by yourself, so I want to give you a chance to thank whoever you like. Yeah, well, the biggest thing, you know, I want to thank Hair Club, obviously, not only for sponsoring me and my race my race car, but they've helped build my confidence. Me, I'm a Hair Club member, and uh, honestly, it changed my life. Uh, Ford Performance. You know, being a Ford driver, they let me be in the sim a bunch this week, you know, over at Ford Performance just to kind of get used to the track. And that's a huge help for me who has little experience. And, uh, you know, all my sponsors, Zamp Helmets, K1, um, you know, the hot chick, my wife, especially, you know, when I told her I wanted to go back racing, it's a huge thing to have the support of your family um and you know she's here and she's helping me she's now the ceo of muniz racing and and helping in every single aspect of off the track which is pretty cool it makes it a a family a family business so gotta thank everybody for that and obviously my team you know the guys put in a lot of work and give me a great car that's the thing my car is good i got a good car so this is a great bunch of guys love them so I, i that's yeah happy with that well, Frankie, congratulations on your success to date. It is just so much fun to watch you week after week in this series. Just go out there and have a good time no matter what the result. And uh, we wish you the best going through the rest of the season. Maybe we'll see you in victory lane. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. Frankie was just so much fun to talk to. And we look forward to uh, more time with Frankie. We're going to try to get uh, a bit of an extended interview with him for a future show here on steering wheel nation so stay tuned for that our next feature interview is with a driver turned team owner jordan anderson jordan currently two cars in the nascar xfinity series you know that he's owned trucks in the past he's driven trucks in the past jordan came up from the short track level i've known him since his days in legends cars and, you know, I know Jordan is a person and who he is and, and, and the hard work and the faith and everything that goes into uh, Jordan and his efforts every day. And this was fun just to sit down for uh, uh, almost 15 minutes and just hear from Jordan and talk to him about his journey. And let's uh, check that out from Charlotte this past weekend. Talking with Jordan Anderson, Jordan has had a spectacular career in his own right as a driver and now as a team owner. But Jordan, I feel like you've got to be just on cloud nine right now. Both of these cars, extremely competitive. You've got two very aggressive young racers. Talk a little bit about the 2023 season so far and congratulations on the big win. Thank you. No, I would definitely say this year has exceeded our expectations. We we knew going into last year with with Mike, I think we set goals that we wanted to win a race. We wanted to be knocking on the door of being in the playoffs. And it was a growing year for us last season. I think a lot of that we learned last year has led us into this year with the expansion of going to two cars. We knew it was going to be a lot of work. But I think what it did to our organization was bring a lot of, a lot more depth. And, and depth in people, depth in cars, um, our information that we're learning over the course of the year. We've got twice the information coming back from every race and just doing our due diligence on that side. So we've got two really good group chiefs with Shane Whitbeck on the 27, Josh Graham on the 31 that are leading the team. And there are two crew chiefs that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got Josh with his engineering background. 
Shane from the you know hands-on work on the cars background. So they both kind of work together and, and kind of bring their strengths together. And every single guy on our team has, has really parlayed into you know building fast race cars. And you've got Parker and Jeb, two guys that are hungry that get up on the wheel every week. And you know I've I've really tried to work close with these guys and talk about the importance of bringing home race cars and, and taking care of these things. And they both have been. Um, I'd say they both have been really aware of that and they've taken care of the cars and that's what I told them I said you know we show up and we're maybe a a tenth or two off of the big team but I said you know the way that we can chip away at that is we bring those cars home in one piece and we make them better for the next race and there's been probably of our 12 races you know half of them we brought cars back that just need to be fluffed and buffed and we were able to work on them in the following week we made them better you know the perfect example is Talladega with you know Jeb winning Parker finished seventh take a step back and look at Daytona 4th and 11th those cars came back out of Daytona in one piece and that's how we're able to make these cars better is bringing cars home in one piece and you know we've tried to grow as a team and and, and do what we can do to learn and be kind of you know do our homework and, and try to get better with the rules and it's just been nice with having you know two cars that have sponsorship you know with with Parker's deal with Funkaway Jeb's got a ton of great partners, you know, anywhere from, you got state water heaters, Rocky, Alsco, Solid Rock Carriers, you know, my partner on the team, John Bomrita, with all his guys from Factory Motor Parts, Lucas Oil, uh, Easy Care, we got a lot of great partners that, that help us, so it's uh, a cubic dollar driven sport, there's no doubt about it, and for all the years that I raced, you know, in the truck series, and even that first year in 21, when we had all the different drivers, we were kind of hindered by what we could do just because we had to race on a budget and now we're still of course racing on a budget but able to give these guys more resources you know we're buying new rotors and pads every race and we're able to to buy you know do the lease motors from ecr so to be able to give not just our drivers but our crews the the tools they need to be successful has has been cool and i talk about that in our hiring process when i hire people i'm not here to micromanage any of these guys i want to want to hire people that are smarter than me I want to give them the tools that they need to, to do their job and, and turn them loose. And I think that's a dangerous combination when you give somebody the power to, you know, do their thing and do what they think is right and work together. And it's been fun to, to watch that mythology work. Talk a little bit about the decision to go to two cars because I feel like there's some inherent risk there, obviously, in disrupting sort of the flow. And at the same time, I think you presented a case earlier for how it's worked so well for you. What was behind the decision to expand the uh, team? Yeah, that was the biggest one was just the spreading the wealth of knowledge. There's more There's more smart people under our shop building and the roof this year than there were last year. And that's not because of any one person. It's because we doubled our, our people that were on payroll. And that just puts more smart people together. And that's one thing we've worked really hard to try to do is mesh them together. You know, we're not going to differentiate the 27 team from the 31, but we're going to have everybody work closer together. And uh, that's really paid off, you know, rather than have one team building cars, another team building cars, when they go from one side of our shop where they get built, you can't tell whether it's a 27 or 31 car. They get all built the same. And then when they get different is when they roll to the setup plate and they get set up by the crew chiefs from there. So as far as that goes, everything is, is done the same to try to build that synergy on that side. So we knew that going into it, it was going to be a lot of work and a lot of effort to try to get it all figured out. But I think the big part of it is just that um, we knew what we wanted to do. Eventually, would be go to two cars. weren't sure how we were going to do it or how we were going to pull it off, but we knew we wanted to do it. And it's kind of funny when the whole deal came together, Jeb came to us first and we put the second car together first. Okay. The 27 was sold first. We didn't have a ride over for the 31. And 
Parker's deal came together pretty quickly together after that. So I kind of went ahead and jumped, made the jump and said, we're going to go ahead and do two cars. I'm going to sell the first, the second one first and then figure out this other one here. So it's kind of funny how it all came together. But it's been, I mean, I've been so proud of all our guys. And it's a great feeling when you show up the racetrack and, and know that, hey, you know, our realistic expectations are to run top 15 every week. And if we can do that every week, we're going to sneak in top 10s. We're going to sneak in top fives. We're going to sneak in a win at a place like Talladega. And, you know, to try to prepare ourselves to do that. So it's people are like, man, you guys have really stepped up this year. And it's like, no, it's just the result of – you know, this is six, seven years in the making of trying to get here to this point of since 2018 when this team started, 110% of what's come in has gone right back into it. There's never been take, take, take. It's been give, give, give to try to make this organization better. And it's cool to see it finally pay off. And this is, you know, with my partner and I, John Bomarito, this is a, you know, this is a 25-year plan here. This is where, where we want to be here for the long haul and make sure that we're, we're here for many years to come. And with that comes – um, a business model that's probably different than other teams because it's it's more strategic. It's more we're going to be smarter in how we spend our money and how we do it. We're we're allocated to X. You know we don't have a, a unlimited budget. We got to come in and be really smart. We need to be purposed with how we spend our money and where we invest it. And that's one thing we've really focused hard on is it's almost a money ball approach of we know we have X, we need to make sure we get to Y and, and how we allocate it's going to make the biggest difference. So you know we've we've really focused on. We're probably heavier on equipment than we are people right now. You know, we've we've gone into the route of building more cars than having people and switching parts over from car to car. So that model has kind of been what we've worked at, you know, since day one. And it's been really, really working well for us because we're able to mileage our parts different and, you know, look at that stuff. And that's one thing I'm proud of our guys. You really go back to the start of 2021 last year, we really haven't had any mechanical failures. And that's not something that I need to knock on wood about. It's just a testament to the guys in our shop that go that extra mile to make sure the stuff's right so and it's something they kind of self-police they know if something needs you know to be purchased or bought new they come to me and say hey you know we don't ask for much but we need this and i'm like all right if you guys need it let's let's get it so it's it's been cool to see that see it flourish and really take off as a driver you said earlier you work closely with both of your drivers that you have i feel like there's they're different people they're different um, types of drivers even talk a little bit about how you manage those expectations and how you work with two different personalities like that yeah no for sure i think you've got jeb that's been around for a long time you know he's close to my age got a lot of race under his belt and it's been fun to work with him we're 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 kind of our career paths were very similar with us racing against each other and what we've had to fight for and the journeys and the struggles that come with it so we've we've really kind of paralleled a lot of that stuff and you got parker just turned 20 uh last week you know I, i forget he's that young sometimes but you know he's out here he's he's green behind the ears and you know, we went to Darlington last week or two weeks ago, and he's got 10 laps under his belt. There goes out and qualifies eighth, two-tenths off Larson. I told him, like, I don't think you realize what you've just done, how impressive in my eyes that is that you've done here. So he's, it's been really cool because Jeb has got the experience, and sometimes Parker just doesn't know what he doesn't know, and that's been a good thing on their driving styles. They've been different. So both guys and both crew chiefs have worked really well to share that data and information. Two totally different driving styles, but we've been able to correlate the two things that we've learned from them to make everything better. So it's been it's been fun to see that they're on, on different ends of the spectrum. They work so closely together. Okay, let's switch and talk about sponsors for a minute. When you 
bring in a sponsor like Funkaway, who's a first-year sponsor. How do you work with that sponsor? And what are what are your goals with them as far as being able to to kind of be successful with that relationship to keep them around for a while? Yeah, that's that's been one thing really cool. Funkaway is a new brand. They got a lot of great products, uh, exciting products. You know, it's a company that's been around for a long time, but this is really their first push and foray into the consumer-facing side of things. And uh, you know, they're carried on Amazon now. They're getting into Walmart. You're going to see a lot more things where we kind of focus that rear bumper on our car where you see where they're sold at. So it's been fun to work with them, and they're they're kind of an edgy brand. They're exciting to work with, and it's it's kind of been exciting to kind of be able to put our touch on things. They've given us the, the confidence on our team side to push that kind of stuff. But on the flip side, we've we've really pushed hard with John Bomrito, his 25-plus dealerships. We've got a lot of connections there. We're trying to push the Funkaway product in. We've got one of the suppliers for John's auto group is Crest, Crest Industries. Crest is a supplier to over 300 dealerships in the Midwest. You know, so we made a push to get Funkaway carried in their product line. We've gone to factory motor parts that sells to, they've got over 3,000 dealerships they service to get that Funkaway line carried through, you know, their product line there. So we're trying to push the consumer facing side, but we're also doing a lot of business to business to connect our team core sponsors to new sponsors that come in and just make it to where hopefully when the green flag drops, they've already seen their ROI. Everything that happens after the green flag falls is, is a bonus. So we're trying to do a lot of work behind the scenes to make this stuff successful and everything on the racetrack is a plus to it. So it's it's been exciting to see that take off. Do you miss driving? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I think you'll probably uh, you'll probably see me. You know, I've talked about it forever now. But you know, the goal is you know hopefully to, to have a car, maybe a Daytona later this year, maybe have a truck come back at Talladega. And it's just one thing. It's been cool for me to take a backseat personally to see the team flourish, and that's a that's a sacrifice I'd make any day of the week. So it's it's exciting to see this thing take off, and you know to see the fulfillment happen. All these other guys that work for us. So you know, I figure if if, if my name's on the the door to shop, I can go race whenever I want to. So as long as I can get that itch scratched a couple times a year, I'm, I'm more than happy. So I was going to ask about the truck program. What is the status of that? Is that just kind of awaiting the right situation to come back? Or have you kind of parked it on purpose for a little while to focus on the uh, growth of the Xfinity? Yeah, we sold a lot of our trucks off uh, at the start of the year and, and kind of repurposed that funding that came from selling those those trucks back into buying more Xfinity cars. We, we knew this is kind of our opportunity here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you're playing with the stock market, you get a you get a lead or a tip that something's going to take off. You put all your money in that. And that's what we did on the Xfinity program this year. And it's been cool to see it pay off. And, you know, this is kind of where we focus our efforts, and it's hard to have two different things. So, you know, it may come back at some point down the road, but for now our, our focus is here. Well, it's been great to uh, watch the progress and see the success this year. I've known you a long time, know how hard you've worked for this, and I know the faith has been very strong as well. Talk about, especially in light of your accident last year and all of that, talk about uh, talk about your faith a little bit in relation to taking yeah. these risks. No, definitely. That's, that's been a big part of it. After you know what happened to Talladega last year, that was definitely a huge test to, to go through that, and it was very humbling, but to see you know the way that God worked all that stuff to come back to that same racetrack six months later, Later, you know, went out of the tunnel. This got to go out of the tunnel this time. I went out in a helicopter last time, but to leave the, the racetrack with a trophy the next time I was there was was pretty humbling and pretty exciting, and definitely a testament to everybody that's believed in, in this journey that we've been on. A lot of people have played a part in this from 2015 when this thing started. You know, I think back to, you know, I thought it was all over in 17 when I wrecked Atlanta, and then we did the fuel by fans, and you know, so many times over the year where this thing was on the brink of going away. 
just dug our heels in a little deeper and a lot of people stepped up to help make this happen so to see that I'll get rewarded with a win was kind of a win for everybody that's been a part of this journey so just amazing to see the doors that God's opened the people that he's brought in my path and you know if this is just getting started I'm excited to see what what's to come for us all well your PR guy Chris told me that I had five minutes with you I think we were a little over that time and I know you're busy here this afternoon trying to go win yourself an Xfinity race tomorrow congratulations on the growth of the team and all the success and we wish you all the best down the road for the rest of the season no I appreciate it. it's always special to come to a place like Charlotte here you know I think about all the days that I was in this garage area with our Bandolero and Legend cars and I remember back then as a teenager coming in here through that tunnel it's like man this is the this is the big leagues here and now you know 10 years later have two cars and you know the Saturday show here is is pretty exciting so it's it's one thing I always talk about all the all the kids that are out here running the summer shootout still and everybody tells me hey you're never gonna make that level without millions of dollars well hopefully you know people like myself and Parker you know we're kind of a testament that you know with a lot of hard work and you know hustling and staying after you can get here so it's it's cool to be here and then hopefully we'll have a good finish this weekend but appreciate the time the amazing part of this is that jordan's cars both of them finishing in the top 10 at charlotte so really kind of justifying that time that we gave him uh to talk to him and boy that team is a team that you're gonna have to keep an eye on as we go through the rest of the season because they're trending up and don't be surprised if parker retzloff and the funk away team get a win before the season's out it won't surprise me a bit okay folks it's been a great show happy to be back with you again uh just a lot of racing to get through thanks for hanging in there looking forward to being back again next wednesday on the tom baker show until then god bless everyone and be safe have a great week so long you've been listening to the tom baker show